Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. If you'll take your scriptures in hand and turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 14 in just a moment. This is our missions week, this Sunday and next Sunday, and of course, Wednesday night, we have our missionary with us, one of our missionaries, and uh, so we're going to be emphasizing the mission of God, because that's what we're supposed to be about. That's what we're here on earth for, amen? And so uh, we're going to be focusing in on that in a series titled, He is worthy he is worthy and uh, the greatest motivation for mission is t is the title of today's message you know i read the inspiring story of a man named rob clayton who along with his wife served as missionaries in india for over 42 years rob believed that india a predominantly hindu uh, nation of 1.3 billion souls was the most fruitful mission field in the world and as a result of more than four decades of labor, he started something called India Mission, which saw more than 1.2 million people come to Christ. And 40,000 of those converts were raised up as preachers to continue spreading the gospel in India. Amen. Rob entered into his eternal reward in 2021 at the age of 76. But up until the time of his death, he continued hoping to return to India to preach the gospel and reach more souls for Christ. He was prohibited because of the COVID pandemic, and then he died during that pandemic. But his whole heart, his whole life was devoted to serving Christ and fulfilling the mission of God. And we are all called to devote our life to the mission of God to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not a calling reserved for a special class of people that we call missionaries. The only thing different between them and us is that they leave their homes and they go to a foreign field. But we are missionaries here. And we are called to help support those that go with our prayers and our giving so that the gospel can be spread all around the world because we are all responsible for the mission of God. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon who said, it is the job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. I want to say that again. It is the job of the whole church. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, that means me. Amen. That's all of us, right? It is the job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. So we're responsible not just to reach Pembroke Pines and South Broward, but we are responsible that the gospel gets preached throughout the whole world as well. Amen? That is our mission, and this is our mission week to remind ourselves of the reason that we exist, to remind of our, ourselves of our calling and our purpose, and the Assemblies of God missions theme is He is Worthy, and it is based on Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 through 14, but particularly verse 9. Let's read. I love the book of Revelation, but it's not easy to understand. How many of you would agree? Not easy to understand, but it is a series of visions that the Lord gave to John the Apostle about what would be happening throughout history and especially the last days, the end of time when Christ would return in judgment and establish his kingdom. 
Now, there's a lot of debate over what all of the symbols and figures mean in Revelation, what it's referring to, and when it will take place. We believe that the majority of the book of Revelation, particularly from Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18, focuses on the tribulation period. The tribulation period is the outpouring of God's judgment upon the earth and the rampant spread of evil as, the, as Satan comes down with a fury knowing that his time is short. So that's what will be happening during that seven-year period that the Bible calls the tribulation period. And then chapter 19 refers to the second coming of Christ. At the, and you, you might have heard of the Battle of Armageddon, which is his final conquest. And then uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet uh, and, and Satan and all of his angels and the wicked dead are cast into the lake of fire. That's in chapter 19. And then chapter 20, Christ establishes a thousand-year reign on earth called the millennial reign. At the end of that time, we have the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment of the wicked dead. And then we have the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. So I just gave you a quick panoramic view of, of God's calendar of end time events. Amen. And it's all spelled out for us in the book of Revelation. But not focusing on those details today, the main theme of this book is that there is a cosmic battle taking place behind the scenes in the world between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. It emphasizes to us that there's a very real enemy at work named Satan, which means adversary. He's the adversary of God and the adversary of God's people. And he is trying to destroy God's work and he's trying to destroy God's people. And things will get progressively worse on earth until Christ returns. But in the midst of all of that, the book of Revelations reminds us that God is in control. And in the end, his purpose and his people will prevail. We win, we conquer, we overcome, and we reign together with him through all eternity. Amen? But in the midst of the battle that is taking place on earth, we have to hold on to these truths. It will be hard especially as the end draws near, the Bible tells us it's going to get worse and worse. So things are going to get tough, but we can hold on to these truths and we can stand firm in faith. Amen. Now, at the time that Revelation was written, the Christians in Asia Minor were experiencing terrible persecution under the egotistical and ruthless Emperor Domitian. In fact, John himself, who writes this book, was experiencing persecution. He had been exiled on a rock in the Mediterranean Sea, left to die. It was a barren rock, and he was left there to die because they didn't want him to preach the gospel anymore. But man, that sure backfired on the enemy because even there on the Isle of Patmos, he was in the spirit, and God gave him the revelation that we now have before us, the book of Revelation. So Satan could not stop him. In fact, he helped the ministry of John to continue and the word of God to continue. Amen? Because Satan can never and will never prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But these early Christians had laid it all on the line for their faith in Christ. And now suddenly their whole world seemed to be falling apart. And so God gives, especially the first part of this vision, but the entire book, he gives it as an encouragement 
to those that might become discouraged by the evil they see in the world and the evil they suffer because they are Christians in the midst of a world that is ruled by darkness. And so uh, when we're even tempted to give up on our faith, and go back to the world, we need to hold fast to the truths that he reveals to us here. God is still on the throne. The message of Revelation 2 and 3 is that the Lord is in the midst of his church. That's where we have the seven letters, amen? And, and the Lord is shown as walking in the midst of the seven churches. And what he's saying is, even though things may be hard, I am working in the midst of my people. I am present in the midst of my church, amen? Isn't that wonderful, no matter how hard it gets? So that's chapters two and three. And then chapter four shows us that God is still on the throne. Even when all hell is breaking forth on earth, God is still on the throne. He is still in control of all of history, working towards the fulfillment of his purpose and the salvation of sinful mankind. And nothing and no one can stop his purpose. Amen. Now, John's vision of heaven and God on the throne continues in Revelation 4, but in, in Revelation 5, but the focus shifts. The focus shifts from the ruler of the universe sitting on the throne to the redeemer of mankind and from the throne to the scroll. Read with me, if you will, Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne, and right hand speaks of power. It speaks of ability, so God is able to fulfill everything written in the scroll. I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, those seven seals represent the first series of judgments that will be poured out during the tribulation period. We won't be here if we're Christians. We're going to get raptured. Amen? So we won't be there, but we want to take as many people as we can with us because we don't want anybody to have to go through that. Amen? But he says, there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. God collects your prayers and they are before his throne. Amen. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood was ransomed, uh, has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. 
Then I looked again and I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever ever and ever and the four living beasts said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb that's worship in heaven folks hallelujah to the name of the lord but this is one of several scenes in heaven uh, chapter 4 chapter 5 and chapter 7 that God allows John to get a, a prophetic glimpse of and, and the thing that impresses me is that there is no fear doubt or anxiety about oh my goodness look what's happening in the world look how evil is rising what are we going to do no John sees a scroll in the hand of the one who sits on the throne God is in control and God has all of his plan for history in his right hand. He will accomplish all that he said he will do. Amen. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord. The scroll is sealed with seven seals, which are, you know, in ancient times, they use clumps of wax to seal important documents. And they were usually imprinted with an insignia of the person sending them to ensure that only the right person could open and read the document. But no one in heaven or earth, no one under earth was found worthy to open the scroll. So John was, was getting excited. What's God going to do? God's got a plan, but there's no one worthy to be able to open the scroll and execute God's plan, setting things in motion. How are we going to know what God's plan is? And more importantly, how is God's plan going to be accomplished if no one is worthy to open the scroll? But in verse 5, it tells us that the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And he is worthy to open the scroll. Now that's symbolism for Jesus. Jesus came out of uh, the, the tribe of Judah, and the lion represents the king, right? He's the king of the jungle, right? In, in the animal kingdom, he is, you know, the top tier, right? And so it represents Jesus, uh, the king, the Messiah, the prophesied one who would come to be the savior king of the world. Now in verse 6, he is described as the lamb who was slaughtered because he gave his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And that's what makes him worthy to be able to open the scroll. In verse 9, they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Folks, if you don't like diversity of cultures, ethnicities, and races, don't plan to go to heaven. Right. Amen? Because heaven's not all white, it's not all black, it's not all Hispanic, it's not all Asian. It's everybody. Amen. That's why I love our church, because our church represents what we're going to see in heaven. Hallelujah. But, but this year's missions theme is based on, on this verse, he is worthy. He is worthy. It's, it, 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 you see, he conquered 
sin, death, hell, and the grave, and he rose again, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, victorious, and for that reason, he is worthy. He has saved us. He has made it possible for us to be sons and daughters of God. He has given us access to the throne room of heaven, and he has made it possible for us to claim heaven as our eternal home. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord. And you say, praise God, hallelujah, but what does that have to do with missions, pastor? Well, here in chapter 5 and again in chapter 7, we see an innumerable crowd of people around the throne from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And the question is, how did they get there? How did they get there? When Jesus was on earth, did he travel all through the world? Did he go to South America? Did he go to North America? Did he go to Africa? No. His ministry was concentrated in, in the land of Palestine, in the land of Canaan. So how are there people from every tribe, every nation, every language? After his resurrection, did he go around the world to tell everybody the gospel? No. So how did all these people get to heaven? It's because Jesus said to his church, I've done my part. Now you have a responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples and to us at least five times in, in each of the gospels and again in the book of Acts that our mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people and make disciples of all nations. Now, he may call some specifically to go to a foreign country, like this young lady that's going to be speaking on Wednesday night. He has called her to go, I believe it is, to Japan. And so he may call some people. He may be calling some of you to go uh, to a foreign land to preach the gospel and reach people of different cultures and different languages and different ethnicities. But for all of us, he has given us the responsibility where we are and also around the world to make sure that the gospel is preached to all mankind. Amen? And that is the reason that Revelation chapter 5 is one of the greatest missionary passages in all the Bible. And in this passage, we find the greatest motivation for mission. The first motivation for mission is this. All people in the world are without hope without God. Everybody in the world is without hope, without God. All of mankind is lost in sin and doomed to eternal damnation apart from Christ. Going all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when God first created humans and placed them in the Garden of Eden, you know what happened? They sinned. They rebelled against God, and they rejected the word of God and the command he had given them, and they chose their will above God's will. And by their choice, they submitted to the devil's dominion rather than the rule of God. I want you to understand something. There is no neutral ground. There is no fence sitting. You are either in the kingdom of God or you are in the kingdom of darkness. And you choose. You choose. By their choice to give in to the serpent's temptation, they rejected the rule of God and they chose the dominion of Satan. Amen? As a result, their relationship with God was broken. And when God came looking for them, what they do? They ran and hid. Because when people are not right with God, they hide from God. 
That's why you invite them to church. And oh, no, the roof would cave in if I went to church. You, you talk to them about Jesus, they run the other direction. They shut you down. They don't want anything to do. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Why? Because they're hiding from God. And then... They tried to make a covering for their nakedness, which represented their sin, because before they were naked and without sin and without shame. But they tried to make a covering for their own nakedness with the leaves of plants. And what that represents is that sometimes we try to cover our sin with good works. We try to, to do things and say, well, I'm not that bad. Because, you know, I, I, I help out, you know, in, in the community and I do this and I do that. But you know what? That's wonderful. But none of that can take our sin away. So what did God do? Way back in the garden, he killed an animal, a lamb, to represent the sacrifice of Jesus. And he made a covering for their sin with animal skins. And he gave a prediction in Genesis 3.15 about how the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. The seed of the woman represents the virgin birth of Jesus. The serpent represents Satan. Crushing his head represents the fact that, that Jesus would ultimately de defeat and destroy the kingdom of darkness. Amen? But like Adam and Eve, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that we were all, we were all dead in our sins because of our disobedience. He tells us that we were all disobeying God and obeying the devil, following the desires of our sinful nature. And he says that we were all deserving of God's judgment. All of mankind without Christ is deserving of God's judgment. And in that same chapter in verse 12, Paul reminds us that we were all at one time without Christ, without hope, without God in the world. Folks, what I want to get in our spirit is this. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. Apart from Christ, there is no hope of forgiveness. There is no hope of relationship with God. There is no hope of God's help in this life because I don't know about you, but I need his help all the time. There is no hope of a different future in this life. Sometimes we mess up our life big time. And without Christ, there's no way of fixing that and turning it around and making... But, but you know what? He brings beauty out of ashes, the Bible says. He can turn around the worst situations and he can turn it into something good. And some of you can testify from where you've come from, how God has brought beauty out of your ashes. Amen? So he gives us hope of a different future in this life. Without him, there is no hope of the resurrection. And there is no hope of eternal life. Without him, there is no hope. And the hopelessness of humanity apart from Christ is expressed in the silence described in Revelation 5.3. When the angel said, who is worthy to open the scroll? And there was silence. It was a silence of despair. It was a silence of hopelessness. Here's the vision of God's plan written on the scroll and his final purposes that are about to be fulfilled to bring an end to sin, to bring an end to all of the suffering and pain caused by evil in the world. And John sees the scroll, the contents of which could bring the end to all that has caused pain to humanity, an end to all evil, wickedness, injustice, suffering, 
bring sorrow, loss, and death. And it would bring the fullness of God's blessing upon his people and restore creation back to what he originally created it to be. And that's why when there was no one found worthy, John wept bitterly because the hope of a different life, a different world, a different future was all gone. No one was worthy to open the scroll. The fact that no one is worthy attests to the complete inadequacy and sinfulness of humankind. The whole world is hopeless and helpless to change our lives, our future, and our eternal destiny. No one is worthy to open the scroll and put into effect or enact its contents to fulfill God's saving purpose in the world. Not even Abraham, Moses, any of the prophets of old, none of the apostles, and certainly not Buddha, Muhammad, no yogi, no priest, no pastor, and no televangelist. None were worthy to open the scroll because none can save your soul. Hallelujah. Hopeless. Hopeless. No religion and no religious leader can save you. No religion and no religious leader can make you right with God or guarantee eternity in heaven. And we were all in that condition at one time. We were all lost without Christ in the world. David Platt writes, our problem is not simply that we have made some bad decisions. Our problem is not just that we've messed up. Our problem is that we are, at the very core of our being, sinfully lost, cut off from God, condemned by God, and consequently destined to hell. The eternal destiny of all humanity, apart from Christ, is what Jesus described as a fiery agony in a place called hell. Jesus described it as a place of unquenchable fire and never-ending torment. Every person we see each day, every person in the world that does not know Christ is lost in sin, spiritually dead, alienated from God, and destined for judgment and an eternity in hell. They are hopeless and helpless to change any of that without Christ. If they do hear the gospel, excuse me, if they do not hear the gospel, they will be lost for all eternity. That is the urgency of mission. That is the greatest motivation for mission. Even more so because some of your loved ones do not know Christ. Some of your sons and daughters, some of your brothers and sisters, some of your parents, some of your spouses do not know Christ. And they are lost without him. The second motivation is that salvation is through Christ alone. Jesus alone was found worthy to open the scroll. That's why John is told to stop weeping. 
and, and that's a declaration. You don't have to weep. There is hope for humanity because the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered sin, death, and the grave, and he has defeated the devil by offering his life as the lamb who was slaughtered on the cross. Amen? Jesus alone is worthy to open the scroll. Jesus alone is worthy to unveil and put into effect God's great plan of the ages, the plan of salvation. Jesus alone is worthy to open the scroll because he alone is worthy to save us because he alone was sinless. Amen? And that was because that's why his sacrifice alone was sufficient to save us. Everyone else who has ever, ever lived, they died for their own sins. Jesus was sinless, so he was able to die for the sins of the world. And Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one can come to the Father except through me. We can't have a relationship with God except through Jesus. And if that verse is not enough to convince you that salvation is in Jesus alone, Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else. God has, God, God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And he's talking about the name of Jesus. You know, many years ago, Mother Teresa, and many of you know who she is, she did a lot of work with the lepers in India and, and, and a lot of, uh, you know, com compassionate works among those that were in need. But Mother Teresa once said, just as there are many ways to climb a mountain, she said there are many ways to God. Folks, there may be many ways to climb a mountain, but there is only one way to God. And the world is trying to, is filled with people who are trying to find some other way to God but the only way is through Jesus the classic Christian writer A.W. Tozer said Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God nor is he the best of several ways he is the only way amen Jesus is the only way to salvation. He is the only sacrifice sufficient to pay the penalty of our sins. He is the only means to have a relationship with God. He is the only door to heaven. He said, I am the door. Besides him, there is no other. But I want you to hear this. The tragedy is that of more than 7.7 .7 billion people on the earth, it is estimated that about 3.2 billion have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They haven't heard that there's someone that can save them of their sins. They haven't heard that Jesus has made a way for them to have a relationship with God. They haven't heard that Jesus paid the price so that they could claim heaven as their eternal home. God has gone to great lengths to save lost mankind by sending his son to die on the cross. But Paul reminds us that they cannot be saved unless they hear the gospel. And they cannot hear unless someone preaches to them. And they cannot preach unless they be sent. God is sending us and he's sending missionaries all around the world so that they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There is salvation 
only in Jesus. So two motivators, all the world is lost without hope, without Christ. Second motivation, there is salvation only in Jesus. Third motivation, we must make sure the world hears the good news of salvation. Why? Because God wants all people to be saved. God doesn't want anyone to burn in an eternity of hell. Verse 9 says, The host of millions surrounding the throne sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break the seals and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood was, has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That is the heart of God right there. Jesus died for the sins of the world, and God doesn't want anyone to perish. Again, in chapter 7, verse 9, John sees a great multitude, which he says no man could number, and they are made up of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. What are those white robes? That is the blood of Jesus that has washed us clean from the stains of sin. So we now stand righteous before the throne of God. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. So we see that the main theme of Revelation is that God is in control of all things, working in all of history to the fulfillment of his purpose. And central to that purpose is the salvation of lost mankind. Now it's interesting that the word the Bible uses for those who are apart from Christ is not the word that we often use, which is unsaved. We talk about reaching the unsaved. But you know what the word the Bible persistently uses is the word lost. Lost. It is an empty, hopeless word. Just think of the horror that fills your soul if you're a parent and you lost your child in a crowded place. Just think of the terror that that child feels because they are lost. Amen? Several months ago, uh, I was at the beach with a group of ladies from the church, and we happened to lose one of our senior saints. And <laughs> she had wandered off, and we could not find her anywhere. And, and so I was saying, okay, you go that direction. I'll go that direction. You go down towards that. Let's look for, you know. And we were in this all-out, you know, panic, or organizing a, a search uh, campaign to find and finally, they, they, they had a lot of police at the beach that weekend. And so finally, one of the other ladies said, what are we going to do? We can't find her. We'd been looking for, for like 45 minutes. And there was a police officer there. <laughs> and we'd been calling. We'd been calling, but apparently she wasn't hearing her phone because I called her like 20 times. Others called her like 20 times, but she wasn't hearing her phone. And so finally, I said, the only alternative we have, there's police all up and down the beach. I'm going to talk to a police officer, have them radio along and see if we can't, you know, we'll describe her to them, <laughs> see if they can't find her, you know. And I was just, I was walking towards the police officer and I was just a few feet away when somebody said, we found her. And I was like, oh, thank goodness, <laughs> thank goodness. But you know, the word lost is a very fearful word. It, 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 it's a very um, hopeless word. And the world is lost until somebody finds them. We had to go searching everywhere to find this senior saint, amen? That's how God wants us to go, searching everywhere to find those who are lost. It is our job 
by whatever means possible to make the gospel known. We need to pray, yes, but we also need to go. We need to tell and we need to give so that those that are called to go to a foreign country can go and the whole world can know that Jesus is the only hope of salvation. Jesus said this gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached to all nations and then the end shall come. Folks, we're holding up the end. Jesus could come back if we weren't dragging our feet. Hallelujah. We got to get busy doing what Jesus called us to do. Corrie Ten Boom, I don't know if you've ever heard her. She was a uh, uh, speak. I heard her when I was a youth. Um, she's a Holocaust survivor. She wrote the book, The Hiding Place, which has been made several times into a movie. And she said this, every person is either a missionary or a mission field. If you're saved, you're going to be a missionary. If you are not being a missionary, then apparently you need to get saved. awful quiet in here. Let me just say that again. Every person is either a missionary or a mission field. The question is, which are you? If you're a Christian, Jesus has sent you as a missionary to make sure that the whole world hears the good news that through Jesus there is salvation. And we each have a vital role to play in fulfilling his mission. Some of you here today, God may be calling you to go to a foreign land. Some of you young people, you've been praying, God, you know, what career path should I take? What do you want me to study in college? God may be saying to you, I want you to be a missionary. I want you to preach the gospel. Even some of you older folks. You know how old Paul was when he went to the mission field? 57 years old. Hallelujah. Amen. So you can't take a bye and say, well, that's just for young people, pastor. No, God is calling you as well. The beginning of our message, I spoke to you about a guy in his 70s who was still a missionary in India and wanting to go back to India. Amen. So God may be calling you. Some of you, God is calling you to step up and be, be more bold about witnessing here in your community. And I would encourage you, if you feel that, that stirring in your heart that God is saying, you need to get more bold, you need to tell people about Jesus, which he should be speaking to all of our hearts. I encourage you to get involved in our evangelism team. They go out every Saturday morning. You can meet them here at 1030. And at first, they'll be easy on you. They'll put you with somebody who's experienced, amen, till you learn the ropes and you can share Jesus boldly for yourself. So I encourage you, come on out on Saturday morning. And Ike, our evangelism ministry leader, he'll be glad to, to help you along. We also have on Monday nights, they have a Zoom meeting where they talk about um, how to share your faith boldly at your workplace and in your families and among your friends. And you can get in touch with Brother Ike and he'll get you involved on that Zoom call as well. They, they meet most every uh, Monday night helping the body of Christ be equipped 
to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you, God is calling you to get involved, serving in ministry and helping to disciple others through the ministries of the church. All of us, God is calling us to pray for our missionaries and give to support missionaries so that they can go and spread the gospel around the world because God has made all of us responsible to preach the gospel to all the world. God is calling us and we need to say, here I am, Lord, send me. How will you answer his call and how will you commit to do your part to fulfill his mission? If you're here today and you have not yet placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior and repented of your sins, there is good news. You are not here by accident. God loves you. That's why he brought you here this morning so that you could hear that there is hope through Jesus Christ. There is hope for your sins to be forgiven. There's hope to have a different life here and a different future in eternity. There is hope for salvation through Jesus Christ. All we need to do is repent of our sins. And the word repent simply means to make a U-turn. You recognize you've been heading in the wrong direction, doing life your way, and you say, God, forgive me because I've been living without regard for you. And you turn around and you say, God, I invite you to come and live inside of me. That's repentance. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and then by faith, invite him to come and take control of your life. The moment you do that, Jesus says you're born again. You're given a brand new life and you are made spiritually alive. You're brought into relationship with God. If you're here today, would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you would say, you know what, I, I haven't given to my heart to Jesus before, but pray for me, pastor, because I want to come to Jesus and I want my sins to be forgiven. Or you might say, I gave my heart to Jesus several years ago, but I drifted away and I know I need to come back. Pray for me, pastor. If you fit into either of those categories and you would say, pray for me, pastor, I want to come to Jesus so my sins can be forgiven and I can have a relationship with God, or I want to come back to Jesus. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. Pray for me, pastor. I want to come to Jesus or I want to come back to, to Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, I'm not seeing any hands here, so I'm going to assume, oh, we have one right back there. All right, anyone else? Praise the Lord. Amen. For those that raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to follow me in a simple prayer, and I'm going to ask the whole church to pray it along with me to help those that just raised their hand to encourage them to pray this prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I believe that you love me so much that you died for my sins. Today, I repent. I turn away from my sinful life, and I turn to you in faith. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I invite you to come live inside of me and help me from this day forward to live for you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to congratulate you on making the best decision of your life. And I want to welcome you officially to the family of God. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you, if you would, to just text your email address to the number on the screen. Why? Because the prayer you just prayed is a beginning, not an end. It's the first step in a lifelong journey of learning to love and follow the Lord. And we want to help you grow in that journey by sending you free of charge a little e-booklet that will help you understand the prayer you just prayed and the next steps to take to keep growing in your faith. And we need your email address to send you that book. So if you would, just text your email address to the number on the screen. But once again, congratulations on making the best decision of your life.
Now I want to speak to those of us who are already believers. Remember, Corey Ten Boom said, you're either a missionary or you're a mission field. Well, I'm hoping if you're saved, all of us are supposed to be missionaries. Amen? God is calling each and every one of us to do our part in fulfilling his mission in the world, to preach the gospel to all people in all the world. He's not willing that any should perish, and it's time for the church to rise up and answer his call to go and to preach that everyone might hear that Jesus alone is worthy to save. He may be calling you to go to missions, and he may be stirring that in your heart. Will you say yes to him today? He may be calling you to share your faith here and to be more bold about telling others about Jesus. Will you say yes to him today? He may be calling you to pray for our missionaries. Will you say yes today? He may be calling you to give so that we, and he's calling all of us to do that, to support our missionaries. Will you say yes to him today? Will you say yes in obedience to his call to make sure that the gospel is preached in all the world. If you will say yes to the Lord, I want to ask you to stand to your feet and come to this altar. You know what area he's dealing with you. You know what your yes is, is being said in response to. But I want to ask you to come to this altar and say to the Lord, yes, God, I hear your call and I answer it. I hear your call and I answer it. Hallelujah to the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. You just talk to the Lord at this altar. You know the areas he's dealing with in your life in response to his call. And you talk to him personally about that as I pray over us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of these that are responding to your word with an open heart and with faith, Lord God. Father, I thank you that we are saying yes in obedience to you, Lord God, because this is our greatest purpose. This is our reason for existence, Lord God. You have left us here on this earth after you saved us so that we can preach the gospel to all the world, and we say yes to you. Some of us at this altar, you've been dealing with us about ministry, about, about missions, Lord God, being a missionary. We say yes to you, Lord. Father, some of us, you've been dealing with us about being more bold in witnessing, Lord God, we say yes to you, Lord God. We say yes, Lord. We are going to share our faith more boldly and more faithfully, Lord God. Father, to all of us, you're calling us to pray and to support our missionaries financially. We say yes to you, Lord God. We're going to do everything that we can to make sure that this gospel is preached in all the world so that the end can come. Father, we say yes to you, but we recognize that our flesh is weak, though our spirit is willing. And so we ask the help of your Holy Spirit to remind us, Lord God, when we become weary or we become lax, remind us of our call, remind us of your commission, and stir us by your Holy Spirit and anoint us with power and boldness to spread your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.